On today's show, I have Randall Wheatley, and he is something of a Renaissance man. He is a playwright, actor, singer, educator, podcaster of the upcoming podcast, Marry Me Margaret, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. And if we have time, uh, maybe Mr. Wheatley will explain how furniture as it relates to the failure of our dreams. That didn't make grammatic <laughs> sense, but I hope it intrigued people. So welcome to the show, Randall. Thanks for having me, Kelly. I appreciate it. Okay, so for those who don't know, uh, Furniture as it relates to the failure failure of our dreams is the name of a video, which is, and you're going to have to help me out here. It's your sure, work do in the music department because it's like songs with spoken word, and in your video, you play multiple parts, and you have animation. Um, how do you describe yourself as a creator? Okay. Well, you know, uh, I'm trying to sort of bring all the arts sort of together into one place. So, you know, I, I have a background in theater. Uh, I became a musician late in life. I've always been a writer. And I, the idea was, you know, let's just put it all together and see what happens. So sometimes I sing in songs, sometimes I, I, I do spoken word, and uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's the emphasis on just the, the visuals and the animation. I don't, I don't do the animation, but it's all a collaborative process, and uh, I think that it, it works sometimes, and um, I, I think it's unique. Do you like the term Renaissance man, you know, or, or you know, jack of all trades? Well, why I mean, you... Some people... Well, some people want to be a specialist in one thing, but some people, they just can't do that because they have proficiency in so many artistic disciplines. All those terms are fine. You know, anything, you know, who wouldn't want to be called a Renaissance man? It's, it's, it's a glorious term. I don't know if it applies to me, but uh, you're certainly not going to hurt my feelings calling me that. Uh I have been in a lot of different places uh, in, the, in the artistic world. You know, I was an actor for a long time and a uh, professor of theater, and uh, I just sort of have taken a lot of stuff in. I, I worked, uh, I lived in a rock and roll environment for almost all my life. Um, I worked at Waterloo Records in Austin. If, you, if you've ever been to Austin, you, you've seen Waterloo. And I, I've been exposed to a lot of stuff, and it, it just doesn't make any sense to put any of that stuff away when I'm trying to create art. It makes sense to sort of bring it all together. Some of it I do better than others, but uh, that's for other people to, to decide at this point. Sure, sure. Well, one thing I like about your bio is, you know, you graduated from Southwest Texas State University and then moved to New York City, you know, to to make it big in mm -hmm. theater. And I think there's so much mythology around that of, okay, I'm going to, you know, take a stab and, and do New York theater. And it seems like you did a lot of off-Broadway. But to just personalize it, I mean, what's the reality of when you just take that stab and go to New York? Well, you know, I... I lived across the street from the Hells Angels quarters uh, on East 3rd Street between Avenue, uh, uh, 1st and 2nd Avenue, actually, uh, 78 to 82, right in the uh, rough time in New York. And, and Marry Me Margaret, the, the podcast, is a direct reflection of uh, a lot of the, the stuff I saw. 
it was a Fellini show the whole time I was there. I, uh, you know, between the bikers and and the actors and the bohemians, and it, it was a great place with, you know, the, the punk scene was just starting, and uh, it all sort of washed over me. I had no money, but I did manage to, you know, get some acting jobs. I worked off-Broadway for a while at the doing classical theater, and, you know, I just had so much influences and so many bizarre and amazing stuff, and I'm, and I'm kind of drawn to the, the seedy side of things. So I was all up and down in the Times Square area, and uh, it just sort of made a huge impact on me, and I think a lot of it shows in, in Marry Me, Margaret, and in, in most of my work as well. You've been a college professor, so you know you know the importance of formal training. But as an actor, isn't there just something about okay, the next phase of your training as the struggling actor is just to immerse yourself in this, and even the disappointments, the people you meet, you know, you know, scraping by in a in a in a grungy studio apartment, doesn't that give the actor a lot to draw from? You know, anytime you're keeping your mind open in, in, into those kind of situations, yeah, I had a, it gave me a lot to work with. Uh, maybe not so much at the time because I I was so young. I don't think I really registered it as experience, more as just having a good time. And and but later on, I looked back at it and said, you know, okay, this this all works together. This is this is part of how I'm going to proceed as an actor. And uh, I I don't think I was a real good actor at that time. I was uh, eager, but uh, now as as I'm getting older, I I've been able to use that stuff and and process it and use it as a, as a tool as opposed to being just sort of a wild-eyed kid who wants to you know sleep with everybody and be in everybody's play and and you know drink all night. And it was it was an amazing time and I wouldn't trade anything for the world. I met people that were just amazing artists who were showing me stuff that I'd never seen before and I think now I'm able to to sort of synthesize a lot of that. Well, you had mentioned spoken word and I I totally get that vibe from your work and just that whole uh, discipline. But I remember in the 80s, and, and help me out with some dates here, but there sure. was, you know, some really, really exciting innovations. And again, you know, there's nothing new, but in the 80s, there was this special spin on, you know, the one-person show and spoken word and yeah. incorporating music. And I think I remember, you know, Lily Tomlin's search for intelligent signs in the universe, mm-hmm. and Spalding Gray swimming to Cambodia, and even... Uh, Sandra Bernhard, you know, without you, I'm nothing. And when I uh, have watched some of your work, it kind of evokes some of that to me. So I'm wondering, how uh, influenced were you by the 80s performance art? I, I think that you, you you hit right on the head there. I, I was able to see uh, Lily Tomlin workshop uh, that uh, uh, intelligent life, and and that had a big impact on me. Spalding Gray, I mean, the loss of him is is, is amazingly hard because it just that that was a huge influence. And being able to see in in rock music people who were able to put a narrative in, like. Uh, um, Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, Captain Beefheart was a big influence to me. And, and uh, uh, Wall of Voodoo, um, I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Um, he, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it'll come up in a second. But uh, Stan Ridgeway, sorry. 
the, the okay. people who were able to sort of take a, a song and make stories out of them and, and, and coherent narratives. And uh, so, yeah, I think that all that, you know, people got sort of a bad idea about spoken word at some point that it was going to be boring and didactic and you were going to sort of be hectored a bit by the, the performance. And that never appealed to me. I, I really love the feel of language and the, uh, the, 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 I call it almost the river of language when it carries you along and uh, it serves its purpose to tell a story, but in the same extent, it serves another purpose that is kind of spiritual and physical. I don't know. I get well, off on it's it. It's interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I can hear those influences, and, in, you know, when you uh, reference those rock bands, when I heard one of your songs, it made me think of, remember the Crash Test Dummies in the 90s? Sure. Because you have that very deep, rich voice. It reminded me of, um, like in the 90s, the grunge rock bands really celebrated, you know, the deep oh, yeah. male voices they normally didn't hear on pop radio. Yeah, I, you know, I uh, would every now and then break up my Pearl Jam impression and, you know, try to get down and, you know, do that. And it's, you know, my voice is what it is. And, and you know, I've worked against it in my life and I've, I've used it as a strength. And I think it, it, it comes into play pretty well with, um, with the stuff I'm doing now. Um, I, I, have, I have a good voice, but it's about a four note range of resonance. And if I, that's about all I've got. <laughs> well, you, you use those four notes really well. Um, the other person you remind well, me thank of you. It is uh, Leonard Cohen. I see. Now that's high praise indeed. I uh, he uh, is a an amazing man. When I was a young man in in high school, I. Um, competed for in poetry competitions and uh i actually won a state in texas in in poetry competition and but one of the poems we were allowed to do was uh leonard cohen and and i did his um dress rehearsal rag a number of times for, for in concerts and it wasn't until later on i realized that he was actually a musician and so i i sort of fell into leonard cohen as a poet long before i, I realized that he was you know, putting out some of the most exciting music I'd ever heard. So I've had a, a long relationship with him and uh, miss him dearly. I, I never knew him, but I always felt like after listening to him that I knew uh, something of him. Because when I've heard some of your music, and a lot of this I'm talking from your album, Everything Matters, that you put out a couple of years ago. Yeah. It seems like you're really able to express, you know, a wide range of things in that. Um, just real briefly, because I do encourage people to look that up, too, even though you've got, you know, new stuff coming up. Um, well, what, what, were, what were all the influences that you wanted to put into that album? Wow, you know, I think that I'll, every song in there tells a story. I don't really write a lot from an emotional love or, you know, the, the wonderful songs that, that, that evoke emotion. I, I, there's always a, a story in mind. Uh, some things are better left alone. There, there is a body somewhere that somebody needs to unearth. And uh, 
Betty Goes Shopping is, is a murder ballad. And, and I'm really influenced by, you know, the murder ballads and, uh, you know, like uh, Nick uh, Cave and, and those people. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that I want to tell stories. And, and that is uh, pretty much from the, the get-go what I, what I, where I start to write a song from. Well, I think it's interesting you say murder ballad because I think that's very accurate because, like, you have content in your songs, but there's also a mood, and the mood seems just as important as, as the lyrics. But, like, in certain songs, it's almost like, you know, a film noir detective in a, a smoky jazz club. It just evokes another era. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear because I, that is a lot of the stuff I'm going for. And actually, in the new pieces that I'm starting to work on now, I'm I'm looking to investigate that sort of smoky, you know, uh, Hammond B3 organ, which I just the, the tone of that just delights me. And uh, I'm looking to sort of work and use that music as a starting point for my next uh, project. Were you influenced by the beat poets? Of course. Uh, Allen Ginsberg uh, just delights me. Um, some of his poems, Laughing Gas, and of course, you know, Howl and all that. But yeah, love his stuff. Uh, you know, Ferlinghetti, who I, you know, maybe is a beat poet, maybe not, but I, I, I do. I, lo- I love poetry. Um, I love to read. And I love to read people who I think are good writers. I, I, you know, I have my moments of where I read things that are for general pleasure, but I always like to read something that challenges me and gives me, gives me some trouble and is worth the time. So Marry Me, Margaret, uh, it's going to debut yeah. in June. And help it me is. out here with the description from what I can gather is radio theater or Kind of like how podcasting has, you know, reignited radio theater. Exactly what I write. Um, I used to, when I was a kid, I would listen to radio theater, and uh, it, it was, at late at night on AM radio, we'd be driving through Texas, and uh, it was amazing stuff. The guys were great, and when the whole podcast thing broke. Um, I was writing stuff that, you know, like the furniture and uh, off the album Shrimp, stories that were composed and and, and, and intact in in a three-minute venue. But I thought, you know, what if I could expand that and make it, you know, a full-length play or a full-length, you know, movie type? And that was where we started with uh, with Marry Me, Margaret. It, It was a very odd writing process uh it it sort of wrote itself in its own way and uh matt was there who was my my collaborator with the music and we would you know get musical themes and then i would go off and compose the other words to to work with the musical themes many times now since you're doing this I'm assuming it does not have a totally traditional narrative style. Do you do you play with different kind of um, you know storytelling styles in it? I think it has many different. I think the idea was every chapter of Marry Me, Margaret, you can listen to, 
and experience it as if you were experiencing a song. Everyone has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you listen to all of them in order, then you will find there is an arcing story that takes you all the way there in a traditional way. But if you just want to listen to one or two, go for it. You'll enjoy it, I think. Um, But the idea was to create something with different styles, and, and there are different styles within each chapter. There are at least nine or ten different musical themes that run through that I think are, are very imaginative and wonderful work from Matt and I, more Matt. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's something to be experienced in a whole or, or, or just by yourself, if you, you know. I think the thing that is important is that, is that it is a, it's a very personal piece. And I think that if people are listening to it, if they put their headphones on, I've tried to take you, the person, on the journey of this podcast. And as opposed to it being a story that should be enjoyed by a big group, I think go ahead and get yourself in a room, put your headphones on, get yourself a glass of wine or whatever makes you happy, and allow yourself to experience it. Because I've tried to make it so it's something that will relax you and wash over you but still take you on an interesting journey. And how long is each individual episode? They're uh, as short as three and a half minutes, and they're as long as about 12 to 13. Mm-hmm. Most of them are about and five have you to already... minute range. Okay. So you could literally sit down and listen to them back to back and binge, binge listen to the whole series. Oh, I think absolutely. Uh, if uh, you wanted to do that, you would uh, be uh, be rewarded. Uh, maybe a little tired by the end of it. It's they are emotional pieces, and they're. I think there's a lot of humor in it. I think there's a lot of uh, you know. If I had to describe it, it is would be a psychosexual murder mystery with literary pretensions. I was trying to write what down what it really was beforehand, and. That uh, maybe or maybe doesn't describe it, but I think I think th- I've listened to the podcasts out there, and, and I don't hear anything that's like it. So uh, I think mm-hmm. that you know that's that's kind of a cool thing. Whether people will like it, you know, that's up to them. But uh, if you're looking for something that's not the same old stuff, then maybe "Marry Me, Margaret's for you. Well, I've got a serious question for you, and I don't want to put down other podcasts, but obviously there's a glut of stuff. There's just so many podcasts, and there's a lot of, you know, radio theater style. And, you know, there's the, you know, Mm -hmm. the really acclaimed ones like Homecoming and, you know, the ones that hit the jackpot and, you know, Amazon turns them into a series, you know, lore Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I think because people see that as almost like, you know, winning the lottery, there's there's like this, you know, mad rush for people to put out radio theater on podcasts. And I think it's kind of diluted things. And I think a lot of people, it's not necessarily coming from the heart. They just see this bandwagon they want to be on. And and I just want to get your thoughts on even, you know, beyond the radio theater, there's just so much triviality in the podcast world and not that everything has to be deep but sometimes it's really hard to find 
substantial work, and especially work where people have taken time to write and edit and produce and really hone it before they present it. You know, those are the few and far between things Uh, out there. So I'm just, you know, wondering, knowing what's out there, how did you approach that? And how do you think you fit in with this, just, you know, the care you've taken and tried to present something of quality? Well, I never have created anything. I guess when I was a younger man in New York, I was anxious for success and I was, you know, trying to, you know, be a star or whatever like that. But as I've gotten older, you know, it's about the art. You know, if I do it and it feels like I'm I'm doing the right thing, then uh, then it's satisfying. Money is would be wonderful. Love for somebody to pick this up and and you know give me all all the riches that I probably deserve or don't. But um, I didn't write it with the idea of making any money. I wrote it with the idea that I had I had an emotional trauma. Uh, that took place about two years ago that, that involved my son. And uh, it was, he had been in a, um, a situation where he had been abused and as a child and finally came forward to tell me many years later. And it was very traumatic and really forced me to deal with some of the issues that I had in my life as well. And Mary Me Margaret is a result of, of much of that stuff. Things in Mary Me Margaret that happened that are so bizarre actually happened to me. I, 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 I channeled a lot of that emotional energy into this piece, not saying that it's, this is my story by any means, but it was very uh, therapeutic for me to write it. I, um, the characters, I, I, um, I have a, a very odd job that I used to do for the, the, the Senate in the state of Texas, and I would proofread legislation. And when you do that, you read legislation as fast as you can, and people check it for editing. And, I can, and so I go to almost a fugue state when I was reading this, and I was able to access that when I was writing this, and I let the characters speak for themselves. So, you know, true straight up, I would get high, I would relax, and let the characters talk as I wrote, and then afterwards I would edit them. So this was a lot of information and stuff that was inside of me that wanted to come out, and it was able to come out and be put into a really, I think, coherent and original story. So the the material that is here is stuff that is heartfelt. It's stuff that is, is comes from a real emotional place, and I'm hoping that people will find that something they can relate to and you know, not necessarily in a positive or, or negative way, but it, but it will touch them. Well, put your college professor hat on now. So All say, right, I can you, know, do you that. see, <laughs> well, you see these young people, you know, uh, maybe high school, college, you know, into their 20s, you know, wanting to create and put their work out there. But yep. I would just like you to explain the value of people really challenging themselves in their art. And I think there's so many people out there seeing this lowest common denominator art, and a lot of it's on YouTube, Mm -hmm. but in podcasting. A lot of times I think we see kind of silly shows get rewarded, people just, you know, Hollywood gossip and just a lot of dorky stuff. You know, what's to inspire a young creator 
to maybe aim a little higher and to, you know, expand their knowledge of, you know, art history? Well, getting out there and doing it is, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. Um, The key to the whole thing is get with people who are better than you and and watch them and steal what they do. And then when you've got their stuff, go and hook on with somebody else and apprentice with them and do the small parts and take the ideas that they have and move that to the next level. And if it, going into a classroom for a time is, is what works for you, then cool. I went back and got my uh, master's at the age of 41 at the, you know, went to the University of Nebraska where I've never been in the state before. And it made a huge difference for me, but I was ready for that at that time. If I'd have done that when I was 20, that would have been a playtime. But over the years, I have managed to be around an amazing amount of creative people and who are smarter than me and more talented than me. And I think trying to make yourself the best person in the group is not the way to go. Make yourself the person who has the most to learn in the group and you will grow as an artist. There's my advice. Excellent. Well, we're going to wrap up in a little bit, not quite yet, but before we do, I want to make sure people know how to find you online, so uh, your website, and where to uh, listen to the podcast when it comes on. Okay. Well, uh, you can find my album, and you can find me at randallwheatley.com. That's my website. And we, of course, will have the, um, the, the podcast available there. And also there, um, if you are interested in, in seeing the words and seeing exactly what is written, we will, uh, of course, post the, uh, the words there and uh, pictures and stuff. There's, uh, it, it, I think it's a very pretty website, and uh, there will be a lot of material coming in very soon. Uh, you can also reach me at The Randall Wheatley on Facebook. And we will, my musings, mutterings, and I, I'm, I'm trying to desperately work social media the best I can, but I, I believe I have social media anxiety, and it, it, it sort of paralyzes me at times. I, I moved many times in my life, and every time I move, I have created sort of a new persona of who I am, and now that we have Facebook, there's all these different people and places I've lived, and I'm, I don't know if I'm real comfortable with them, uh, you know, intermingling and, and talking amongst themselves. I, it sort of paralyzes me a little bit. But regardless, on Instagram, I met uh, at Randall Weed. It's at Randall, um, I guess that, what is it, an underscore, and then Wheatley. And okay. I gave you Facebook. And... I guess I'm going to be doing Twitter. There, there's someone who is uh, pushing me, who is, who is promoting the podcast and wants me to get on Twitter as well. So I, I suppose that will be coming. But the uh, podcast will be available uh, on all, you know, uh, Spotify and wherever people get their podcasts, uh, Apple and uh, iTunes and that sort of stuff. My music is, is available on all um, formats, uh, Spotify and uh, iTunes. And feel free to buy it if you want or, or listen to it and I uh, also am on YouTube 
uh, Randall Wheatley, and uh, that's where the video of furniture and shrimp and a couple of others. And I've got a new video coming out of June 1st that's going to be very exciting. Um, uh, it's called Cyrus Does His Nails, and it's a pretty creepy, gothic horror piece. And we were able to uh, get with a director named Steve Kaman, who was able to uh, shoot the whole thing through green screens. And um, if you'd like, uh, I'll send you a couple pictures of, of what we've got going on, Kelly, and uh, let you see it. And uh, I think that's going to debut June 1st. And uh, I think people are going to be pretty excited about the way it looks. I, I saw some of our like, rushes on it, and it's, um, it's pretty terrific stuff. So th that probably should get you to where I am right now. Um, is there anything else you need to know about me, how to find me? No, and... I encourage people to start out with watching your videos because they'll get they'll get some instant gratification from you know your singing, this visual style, the spoken word. I mean, they're really creative. So I think that's a really good entry point. Then they can dig deeper with the album. Then that'll you know that's the gateway drug to your podcast. Like, so I think I, th <laughs> I, like I think that. I think you'll you lure them in. Well, I, I guess the, the final thing I want to talk about is, you know, we talked about the young people. Let's talk about the old people. No one ever talks about anyone over 30 nowadays. So, But I like how well, I am you know, over 30. your story. <laughs> well, you know, you graduated college in the 70s, did New York in the 70s and 80s, got your master's uh -huh. in your 40s. You know, you did playwriting, directing, teaching, and then this whole, you know, new YouTube. And I like how, you know, you've embraced a lot of these different venues like the YouTube and now podcasting. So I would just like your take on, you know, how an artist has a long career and continues to reinvent themselves. Well, Careful investing helped a lot, you know, to be able to, be able to have a little money in the bank uh, certainly allows you to be an artist with a little more uh, ability to take chances. And that was the, really the problem when I was a younger man was, you know, if I failed in something, I, I had to go back and drive a cab for four or five years. And I, um, I did that. I, you know, when I started my early theater companies, I drove a taxi and took the money and would, you know, put something on. And if it was a success, great. And if it wasn't, then back to driving taxis. Uh, but the problem with that was it, it led me not to be as experimental and not to be as, um, you know, cutting edge as I wanted to be because I was afraid that it would fail. At this point in my life, you know, if, if I'm not afraid of failing, which means I can, I am able to do better art. And the mediums change every 10 years. It's for, you go from radio to television to, you know, records to eight tracks to, you know, and, you know, it, it just it, CDs. And so if you, if you can't figure out where the, you know, new markets are, you're kind of doomed. And I really didn't know where the new markets were. So I had to get with somebody and say, listen, um, can you, can you manage this for me? Can you show me how, when I create this, where can I put it for somebody to see it? And so I'm learning this as I go along. I just had turned 66 
So, you know, and I've got a 16-year-old daughter, so she kind of keeps me up with, you know, things of, of what to do and that sort of stuff. But uh, to, 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 to sit around and say, well, you know, YouTube is bad and we're not making any money on CDs, you know, you, you got to buck up and, and move on to the next level or you're, you're not going to be an artist anymore. You're going to be, a, you know, a cover band. You're going to be a copy. You're going to be doing your own work over and over again. And I have no interest in doing that. I want to be creating something new till, you know, I croak. <laughs> well, with all the new outlets, you know, they're always evolving. You know, the potential worldwide audience, is there still a part of you that misses and romanticizes being a director of your own little theater company, whether it's, you know, a 50-seat theater, you're breaking in new plays, you know, you're lucky to, you know, fill the house every other night, but you just love that there's that whole experience when you've tasted that, having your own little theater company. Isn't that kind of hard to let go of? You know, it's an amazing thing to to uh, to have a theater company, and, and I have had them. And, you know, to bring that work together, the, the whole thing about theater is that it's a collaborative medium. And, you know, you're, you're working with actors, you're working with designers, you're, you're, and everybody's got to do their part. And when it works, there's a collective joy and beauty that is unparalleled because you're creating something as a group. And I don't think there's anything in mankind that is more special than that feeling when everybody experiences the success of it at the same time. And do I miss that? Sure as heck do. But, you know, stay the, the late nights and the, you know, trying to figure out how to find, I'm going to pay the electric bill and all that sort of stuff. I don't miss that at all. So, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's real joy to be found. And, and I encourage anybody who is an artist to find a place where you can collaborate with peers that you enjoy and feel that moment when you know you have created good art. It's fabulous. Here, here. So what is the date that Marry Me, Margaret will go live? We're going to go live on the 19th of June. There's going to be a teaser coming out, I believe, the 13th. Um, uh, we, there was a chapter that I really loved that sort of summed everything up that didn't quite make it in. So we've decided we're going to release that, and I think it'll give you uh, – it's called I Like Frosting. And that will be coming out, um, I think, the 12th. Let me be sure here. Yep, I believe. And yeah, that's saying, okay, well, mark your calendars. And who are you saying your um, collaborator is on Marry Me, Margaret? The My collaborator music? is Matt Smith. And I'm going to give him a plug at Six String, uh, Six String Ranch in Austin, Texas. He is an amazing musician, collaborator, and he can, he will take you in as an artist, and even if your skills are as limited as possible, he will help you make music and things that you could never believe you could do. So there's my six-string ranch plug. Check him out on the Internet. Well, Randall, 
I appreciate you taking the time out today to talk, and I'm going to really go out there and predict that by the end of the year, Amazon Studios will discover you and pay you big bucks and turn this into an Amazon series. Kelly, you are all right, man. I will take that in spades. Um, (laughs) This has been a pleasure talking to you. Um, Is it all right if I send you some stuff as we go along and uh, keep you in the loop? Absolutely. I would love for you to keep me in the loop. All right. Um, Once again, thanks for uh, having me on, and I hope one day our paths will cross and we can sit down and have a cup of coffee and laugh about what is happening and move on to the next level. Well, you'll be a a big wig Amazon success, so, yeah, I'm I'm counting on riding your coattails. (laughs) All right. Well, the door is always open to my studio, and and, and I will tell the man at the gate that you are uh, free to come in. 